So the, really the highlight for me at, at right now is um, being able to manage teams through referent power rather than fear and turning up and yelling and screaming and throwing pots and pans. So the highlight for me is, is really eliminating that past behaviour of those um, erratic chefs and, and just really getting the best out of people. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Being a great cook, a renowned chef with an incredible palate, is often very different to the role of a head chef. Being able to cook is one thing, but what does it truly take to lead a team? Darren McCaldy is the executive chef of Mama Cedars and Hotel Jesus in Melbourne. Darren, how are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. You've uh, spent 15 of the last 20 years of your career or the, of the 20 years of your career as a head chef. That's pretty incredible ratio. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. I've always um, always been given roles of um, leading the crew and getting getting stuff done. Probably spent far too many years as a head chef. Probably could have done a few more <laughs> lower down the ranks, but... Yeah, that's just how it, how it all happened. Well, you've uh, been the head chef of some pretty influential restaurants and that have appeared in uh, many good food guides, and we can dive into that. But what, what started, you know, your interest in food when you were young? Um, I'm not really sure. Um, my, my dad's Italian, um, so I would eat, you know, real, real Italian food at, at his um, parents' place. My mum was an okay cook. Um, well, she was, I thought she was a good cook until I started cooking and then realized she didn't use salt at all. Um, but I, I would really come home and watch, um, Peter Russell Clark and just, <laughs> I don't know why I did, but I'd come home. I think he was on before, um, some cartoons or something. And so I'd, I'd watch that and then I would just, you know, help mum out then I start to cook the barbecues out the back and yeah, I just, I guess from the age of eight, I just really knew that I was, I was going to cook for, as a job. With that Italian background, you said your father um, cooked a lot of Italian food, but what's some of the feasts that you recall from, from growing up? Oh, uh, well, he, he wasn't a great cook. He was terrible because <laughs> in the Italian household, <laughs> my, um, my grandmother would cook. She would do do all the cooking on my grandfather. So, the, like, the kids don't really – he didn't really get involved. So it would be more at her place. Um, but I've got to say, it's not Italian food that you would um, would find at a restaurant. It was really basic, um, you know, peasant Italian food that, that they would cook where, where they grew up. Um, so I didn't find it that, that, that um, influential. Um, her, the pastas and pizza was really sort of plain where where they come from, um, so it, it wasn't really inspiring. Um, but it was tasty food. Um, I liked all the home cooked salamis and the curing process that they used to do. That that was all cool, but um, the majority of it I didn't enjoy. Um, unfortunately, 
I just found it a bit plain. <laughs> well, you started an apprenticeship uh, at Mateo's uh, restaurant. Take us back to that time. What was it like when you first stepped in the door of a commercial kitchen? Well, I'm going to tell you about the first time I stepped in the um, in the restaurant, actually, because that's that's where it all began. So I started at a restaurant in Williamstown um, called The Strand. And they said that um, I had to be a waiter first before they'd ever give me a chance as an apprentice. Um, so I did that got in the kitchen and one day on my break I was reading the newspaper and I saw this tiny little article about Gordon Ramsay's book launch as chef for all seasons I said call this number buy your tickets um and this ad couldn't have been more than three by three centimeters um I called up got some tickets it was at the Hilton uh, across the road from the MCG back in those days and as it turns out, my ticket was next to Gordon Ramsay's seat. Wow. So I had so I had dinner with Gordon Ramsay and 50 other people as a very green apprentice. And I networked while I was there and met some people, met a guy called Kevin Thompson. And he said, I'm going to Mateo's as a sous chef. Would you like to come along? So the next day I went there and had a look at the restaurant. And as soon as I walked through the door, I just said, this is this is my life. This is what I want to do. Because it just it just hit me by you know the tables, the cloths, the waiters, um, and and from then I just thought this is this is what I'll be doing for the rest of my days. That's that's what converted me that very moment. What was it like in the, in the kitchen in Mateo's in that day? Those days. <laughs> that was. Um, yeah, extremely intense. I mean, the, the first night I was there, I got abused for peeling onions during service. Um, and that was, once again, that was like, wow, I, lo- I love this. Like, this is, it just really, really took me in. Like, it was intense. It was um, um, perfect. Um, you know, to see that difference of waiters when they would come into that door, laugh, pick up the food and then their face would change as soon as they would walk back out that door into the dining room. I just thought this is, this is fabulous. Like what a, what a production of, of this is how it works. Um, but it was intense. It was a lot of hard work. I did every section there, um, ran the fish section as a, you know, first year apprentice at a two hat restaurant was pretty, pretty amazing. It was a nice feeling to go home and, you know, know that you were 19 years old, you know, sending fish out to some people that were paying some really good prices for food and, you know, having good good results and people pop their head in and say, you love this, love that. Um, it really shaped, really shaped me for what I was going to become. You spent uh, some of those early years at Vue de Monde as well. How different was that environment to the one that you had come from? Um That was probably the most intense I had seen. Shannon at that time was in Carlton. Um, and I worked with Glenn Burns and Matt Wilkinson. Um, it was a good kitchen. It was just, um, it was quite intense there. Um, but I learned, you know, I learned a great deal in the time that I was there. I was, I was a short stint. It was, you know, 10 months. Well, Circa the Prince was really influential, um, for many years. Um, you, you spent about three years there. What was that like? That was fantastic. That was probably the, um, the really the nuts and the bolts 
of of who I am today, um, and really deep rooted skills and management responsibilities, how to run kitchens, was was all sort of stemmed from circa. Um, back yeah, back in those days, it was either circa or SDSDS. They were um, the places we wanted to work. Um, so when I got into circa, it was you know I thought, wow, this is this is incredible. Um, and we had a really, I guess, a really tight knit bunch of boys there. Um, so there was myself, Tony Twitchett, Sherry uh, Perry, Shargan, um, Sam Forte, Anthony Garlando. Um, we've all gone on to, you know, be head chefs and exec chefs in our own right. Everyone that was there at that time were career chefs. Um, there were hardly any casual or visa guys, backpackers. It was it was just us and you know some other solid solid people. But everybody that was there wanted to be there, and it was work hard, party hard, essentially. And um, you know, getting things done. And Michael Michael would really give us the the responsibility of running the kitchen and every three months your responsibilities would change. So I, I could be in charge of ordering for three months. Then the next three months it would be hiring and firing of um, kitchen hands. Next next three months it was alcohol requisition. It was the whole lot. So you really learn how to be responsible and be a team player or, you, you know, you'd let everyone down. It was, um, yeah, it was an impressive place to work, a beast beast of a place at the age of 23 you got your first head chef gig what was that like so i went there to help a help a friend out and just sort of two weeks later i was the head chef <laughs> um that was an experience because at the time belzari didn't have a hat um was doing nice food but the it just was it wasn't a hatted place it didn't run like a hatted place the chefs were um, not used to doing things like what I thought was the correct way. So it was challenging to, to work with people that, you know, just didn't know how to chop chives properly. And um, I'd never sort of, I'd never sort of seen that before. Like I, I just thought every cook was, was like us at Circa and all the other places. I just thought everybody knew how to do everything. Um, so that was quite challenging to be that young and have to explain things to people that didn't know. So I, I, was, um, I had never done that before. Um, the food side of things was was good. I could, you know, punch out the food and create good things. But I guess managing people was was the toughest thing that I had to start learning from that young age. You've worked at um, some incredible restaurants. I mean, head chef of many Um what's been some of the highlights over the years that have been really integral in developing what it takes to be a good head chef? I guess just watching people grow. Um, you tend to learn food costing and wage costing, um, you know, all those little bits and pieces you sort of learn down the way, uh, along the way, but watching people grow and, and learning, learning how to, to get the best out of people um i guess that that makes you grow faster than um all the figures and all the other side um 
with all that aside, the, the fastest way to grow was watching people around me um, grow and do their sections correctly, box off what they've got to do, then they would learn and then the apprentice would come in then they would teach. So you kind of just, you fed off um, the way people would teach using your skills. Um, and so you get to see what works and what doesn't. You worked uh, at Nobu and Middle Park Hotel, Ladro, some pretty amazing restaurants. What's been a real highlight for you over uh, your career? The role I'm in now is quite, that's possibly the highlight at the moment um, because I've really turned into somebody somebody different than I was in the past. Um, I struggled a lot with with um, attitude. Um, I became a product of my upbringing. Um, upbringing through kitchens, I, I would say, not, not family upbringing. Um, so I did have a tendency to, to flip out a lot of times just because I saw it work and I just thought that that was the way to do things. Um, so the, really the highlight for me at, at right now is, um, is getting through all that and being able to manage teams through referent power rather than fear and turning up and yelling and screaming and throwing pots and pans. So the highlight for me is, is really eliminating that past behaviour of those um, erratic chefs and and just really getting the best out of people um, and running multiple venues the way I have learned. When did you start to realise that you needed to change and, and how has it been changing yourself in such a dramatic way? Probably at Middle Park Hotel. Um, that was a huge operation. We had bar food, um, snacks, nice steaks, room service. Um, so to get all that done was you really had to yell. And it wasn't yelling at people to put people down, but it was a lot of yelling and screaming just to get the, the nuts and bolts moving, um, to get everybody to listen. Um, and I, you know, I took a lot of that home with me. Um, and chefs probably wouldn't, would never talk about this, but, um, you know, you, you started to take service home and, you know, I'd start to get annoyed if I saw, um, my partner cut onions wrong and it was just, you know, cooking at home. Yeah. It was just, it was built into me. It was hardwired into me that much that there was processes and done, you know, everything needs to be done right certain way that, you know, it would give me the shits if I came home and, you know, the wife was doing something wrong in the kitchen. So I really sort of said to myself, no, this is not right. Like I've got to sort this out. Um, so I just, just took some therapy and, you know, really nutted out some behavioural issues and learning to leave things at work and learning how to deal with people different. Um, so, yeah, I wish I had done that a lot earlier. How different are you seeing um, your kitchens um, with this new approach? Oh, it's – well, you, to be honest, you have to now. It's, it's not like it was. There's not um, – there's not that many career chefs that were like us in the back in the day that can take a, that could turn up to work and take what we took. Um, they just can't. So you just, you have to change. Um, and it is a much more pleasant environment. Um, I can see it with the younger people that they're, they're more confident to come and ask me things 
um, they're more prepared to have a chat about things. Um, there's not that that fear of, oh, it's the chef, it's the chef. I mean, I still have to, I still have to work on it because I still do have, um, I guess I have a presence. So that's that's a hard thing now. That's a, that's the next step, is removing that because you still have that presence of, oh, it's the chef, it's the chef. Quick, 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 quick. So you still have to, um, you know, it's a constant nurturing exercise of um, building people up to, to get the best out of them. But it definitely works a thousand times better than um, previous methods, that's for sure. Well, tell us about your new role that you have. It started this year and the last year and a half has been um, challenging for many on the planet, let alone just the industry. How did this new role come about? So I was working at a venue called Clifton's um, because prior to this, I was I was with a group called um, Apples and Pears, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with, the Red Spice Road brand. Um, I worked with them in a restaurant called Meatfish Wine. We closed that. I went to their other um, company called Clifton's, which was uh, corporate catering. Um, and when COVID hit, they just sort of said to me, look, you know, it's we're not sure how the business is going to get affected by this. We're not sure when JobKeeper runs out if, you know, we can still keep you on in your current position. So then um, then the opportunity came up at uh, Mama Cedar, and I thought, you know what? I miss kitchens. I miss, I miss restaurants. Um, let's get back into it. So, um, had a chat with Matt Lane and off we went, um, busted my leg in November. So that delayed my actual start in the kitchen. Um, so I've just been overseeing both venues with, um, competent senior people in the, in the roles in each venue, just overseeing, um, but yeah, COVID's just made things a little bit difficult for us in terms of growth and and stability at the moment. Um, but it's a fun role. I definitely um, definitely am enjoying myself. Well, tell us about what it's like uh, with the cuisine and and immersing yourself in the food of those two venues. Your your history has a heavy leaning towards Italian and contemporary Australian, but Mama Cedar is a very different. Um, proposition what's it been like sinking your teeth into that yeah it's 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 been really good really good um i've got to say i'd never really wanted to pigeonhole myself into a cuisine um the first time i probably did that was probably nobu was the first one that was just you know like japanese it really had a direction a few others would let you slip in bits and pieces of other other areas um so i never really wanted to limit myself to a set of ingredients but um mexican is just it's fantastic um so much so much to use um so much going on it's and it's a it's a nice brief to have that i can't deviate off which is which is nice because I've, I've got lost before i guess in in some modern australian places i've been at you kind of get lost um in certain parts but this is quite um just very interesting um can really once you start hitting one chili it takes you into another chili then uh, it's just phenomenal so just the chilies alone is is a uh, is amazing 
I, I never knew that all those chilies even existed until three months ago. Is, are there some ingredients that you haven't used before? And are there any sort of dishes on the menu that you can tell us about that are kind of exciting you about cooking at the moment? So I haven't, I haven't used crickets before. Um, I did crickets for a function three months ago. Um, so we're going to put some crickets on the menu um, shortly, as soon as we're allowed to open up again. So that'll be – I'd like to get my hands on some ants, but they're um, – they're a little bit harder. Um, so we're not going to try and freak people out too much, but people say they want authentic food, so I'm going to throw some at them. Um, so, yeah, crickets. Crickets I definitely haven't used before. And, um, you know, as I said before, a lot of these chilies, um, of course, everyone's used Chipotle and, um, you know, that, but I've used, I haven't used nine of the others that are quite frequently used that I've never even heard of, which is which is quite a shame, to be honest. Um, so I'm glad I'm getting to use them now. You, you talked about changes in kitchen behaviour a little bit earlier. Are there any other changes that you think will be needed in the industry post-COVID? Um, I think hours is a big thing. I think this this little break from kitchens the last year has sort of given chefs time to spend with with family or being at home and I think a lot of them are sort of coming back going geez wow look at look at what we did you know look at the hours that we've that we've worked look at we've missed out on um so at the moment at, at mama we're running a um a four day on three day off roster at the moment um just to give people a bit more um you know time off a bit more time to to chill out and regroup. So I think mental health is starting to to kick in also these days, a little bit harder than it ever used to. So I guess we've got to look after our staff, not only with pay, but with um, with time off. So I think that's a, that's a big change, big factor that everyone's going to have to start thinking about. You've been changing the way you approach your role as a head chef in, over the last couple of years, but what's the last year and a half been like for you? Has it changed the way you see your role in the industry and also your time away from, from work? I mean, for me, I really I, – I hated the lockdown. Um, I really needed to get back into a kitchen. It was it really got to me to not be at work because I'd been a workhorse for so long. I was, I was sort of on the other end of it. I was – like, wow, what do I do with myself? Um, so I, I really needed to get back into the kitchen. Um, so for me, it was, it did show me, you know, what I, you know, some things that I did miss out on, but um, yeah, it's just, I, unfortunately, I was the other way. I just, I hated it because I needed to get back into work. You're really loving the role that you have at the moment and the changes that it's creating in you and for your staff as well and, and a new cuisine. But what, what is it about the hospitality industry that you love? Feeding people, seeing people happy. I guess I guess every chef would probably tell you that. Um, it's to see people, you know, post things on Instagram these days and, and tag you and say, lovely night at Mama Cedar. That's, that's really enjoyable. Um it's that's that's got to be the key i think for most chefs um especially for me it's just when when people say things are tasty i guess um and walk away happy that's that's really satisfying and uh, and of course i enjoy training people and and 
having apprentices move up the ranks and cook a nice staff meal that that's enjoyable i guess that's more enjoyable than than any other part of it is um you know the client satisfaction customers coming and leaving and having a great time and you've hopefully made their anniversary or their birthday a little bit more enjoyable you mentioned that you're loving the new role but it does have its challenges and you're in a lockdown at the moment um what, what do you hope emerges um beyond covid and what are you most looking forward to oh just normality stability it's just um it's just it's really quite draining um I mean, we had we we're a part of Good Food Month this month, and you know, almost half of the month's gone. And I've you know, I've put you know, not a great deal of work into the our offer, but you know, enough to be, you know, okay, let's get this up and running. And then the week, you know, the week comes up and it's you're in lockdown. Um, and I guess that's the struggle. It's you know, things come up and you try and plan. I'll sit down and do menus. I'll go through with Matt, and we'll do a mezcal match or you know and then it's bang we're on shutdown okay great we've got a cooler in full um this week we converted into takeaway boxes um you know and it's just it's it's hard it's hard it's hard to be it's hard to get motivated some weeks um well not sorry not when the lockdown's off but you know when as soon as you hear a case number you just go oh my god what's you know what what's around the corner and then they say oh we'll lock it down for a week but you you know you know in your head is it going to be two is it going to be three you know you can just see everyone in the kitchen just go oh great you know here we go again it's uh, that's quite difficult just to keep morale up and yeah come on guys we can beat this because you know how do you tell them confidently that you're going to beat it when you know the government's on the phone on the TV saying, well, we're not, we're not sure when we're going to open. So that's, that's quite tricky to keep everyone pumped and excited about coming to work when it's, you know, who knows what's around the corner. So some normality would just be fantastic. You know, who knows when that's going to happen. You know, the ropes of uh, running a restaurant and all the different things at, um, at Circa to create you a versatile chef and, and future head chef. Um, you're, and you're still working and adapting on that role, what sort of advice do you have for young chefs that might be stepping into a head chef role? Be prepared for some time. You've got to put a lot of time into this. It's not, it's, it's just not a, um, it's not a while you're at work sort of a job. You know, it requires reading when you get home because there's, you know, who has time to sit down and read books when you're at work. Um, and research and keep on top of trends. So it's just never ending. So be prepared to um, to give it your all because as soon as you slack off or um, slip up, um, you know, you fall behind the eight ball. And there's a lot of pressure, lots of pressure, especially now with every platform I can just about think of, you can be reviewed on. So... Be prepared for some pressure because it comes from every angle. Um, so you got to be able to deal with that. I guess that's my biggest thing is to to let people know about the pressures of it. It's not all um, it's not all um, glamour and glitz, unfortunately, like um, like MasterChef. So, 
you grew up eating your grandparents' Italian food, which you said was delicious, but it didn't really inspire you to a career in hospitality. What, what sort of food inspires you outside of your venues these days? Um, funny enough, Chinese food. Um, I've spent three weeks in China. Um, and when I think about it's it's ingredients lists that really inspire me. It's what, and I guess that's what threw me off Italian sometimes was just, I found it hard to work with tomato, basil, garlic um, constantly. Um, you know, it just wasn't, there wasn't that in depth of ingredients and, 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 you know, ingredients for days to use. And I think Chinese food was, and Asian food was, um, would inspire me a lot um, to do that. And that's, that's where I find Mexican food is falling under that um, inspirational bracket. Just it's purely cuisines with with heaps of ingredients to use and ways to use it. That's where I found Italian food was quite um very dimensional. Plus my grandmother used to abuse me if I used the wrong ingredient. <laughs> used to say you can't add you know, it has to be parsley, it can't be basil because then it changes the dish. It's not what that that is. And I said, Well, that's that's untrue. So I used to have, you know, some lengthy debates with her about what can and can't be used in certain things because, um, yeah, it'd be breaking the rules. And I used to tell her there's no rules. Um, you know, there is no rules. And um, she couldn't understand that. So I've always been a rule breaker. So, um, yeah, it was – I like the cuisine uh, with lots of ingredients that you can, you can go for your life with. Well, uh, Darren – We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to share your story. Good luck with the new role and hopefully you get to open up again in the in the next week or so and really show Melbourne what you're all about. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me once again. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.